going to be looking at verses 11 to 20 this morning. As we look at these 10 verses together, uh, we see some incredible things taking place. Um, taking place at, through the hands of, of the Apostle Paul and interesting responses from people around him in the city of Ephesus. Let's go ahead and begin to read uh, verses 11 to 20 as we stand in honor of God's word. And of course, I'm reading from the New King James Version of God's word. Now, God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick, and the diseases left them, and the evil spirits went out of them. Then, some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves to call the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, We exorcise you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. Also, there were seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, who did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? I think that's funny. Then the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on, excuse me, in whom the evil spirit was, leaped on them, overpowered them, and prevailed against them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. That's even funnier. <laughs> this became known both to all Jews and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus, and fear fell on them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. And many who had believed came confessing and telling their deeds. Also, many of those who had practiced magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted up the value of them, and it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. And Father, we pray that as we look at this passage uh, dealing with your power through the Apostle Paul and the response of unbelievers around them there in Ephesus. And Lord, it just speaks to the reality of who you are and your power. And as this passage ends there in verse 20, your word grew mightily and it prevailed. Lord, might that be the main point that we receive this morning, the truth of your word, the reality of who you are as defined and described in your word, and the reality of your authority and your power. And so, God, we just give this time to you. Speak to our hearts. And, Lord, even, even today, as we as your children are looking to you, hearing from you. Lord, might your spirit speak to us. And Lord, might we have an understanding on how we can apply these truths today. How we are to think, how we are to act, how we're to respond. That you might receive all honor and all glory. And that your word would continue to grow mightily and prevail here in the Inland Empire 
in 2023. I thank you. We love you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys may be seated. I really do think this is a, one of the more, well, a, a funny passage of Scripture. I mean, it's both, you know, it's, it's two-sided. It, it is horrific in the sense of the reality of the, of the power of demons. But I think it's somewhat hilarious in the sense of the response of these people thinking that they could just use a, a word, a name. And we'll, we'll get into this in just a few minutes, but a, a very ironic passage, and it just makes me laugh. Makes me laugh at that response. But these seven sons of Sceva were not laughing, I'll tell you that. But before we get to that particular portion of this, you know, um, just want to remind you that last week as we looked at the uh, three verses prior to verse 11, 8 through 10, you know, we, we did look at the reality of how the Gospels uh, and the book of Acts as well show the incredible power and authority of, the, of our Lord Jesus. But in those Gospels, we, we, we made note of the fact that they, they show that Jesus has absolute power and authority over nature, over the demonic realm, over sickness and disease, and even over death itself. Amen? This is the power of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's his authority. He had, he had said at, at the end of the book of Matthew, at the end of the book of, of, of Mark as well, the reality that all power, uh, all, all authority has been given unto him. And he passes that power and authority to his children, to those who are his disciples. He passes that authority and power to us that we might live and walk and serve him in such a way that he receives all honor and all glory. In these verses 11 to 20, as we just read them, we see the demonstration of that power through the Apostle Paul and, of course, as I mentioned, the response to it. If you notice in verse 11, which says, Now God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul. Now, I, I find that um, an amazing way that Luke puts this. I think, and I, I'm sure that you guys agree, I mean, don't you guys think that miracles in and of themselves are somewhat unusual? And he calls these unusual events that are happening through the hands of Paul unusual, maybe unusually unusual events. You know, he, he just makes that point that these are unusual miracles. Now, we've got to take note that, as it says there, God worked these miracles. It wasn't any particular person. It wasn't Paul who did it. It was God doing them through him, through the Apostle Paul, right? And yet, way, the way that it's worded, by the hands of Paul, God did them. But God was doing the work. He was performing the miracles. He was giving the healings. He, with his authority, was casting demons out of people. It was all the work of God himself. But we, we, we find here, and by the way, as we look at these two particular things that were taking place, people were getting healed of their sicknesses, their illnesses and diseases, right? 
and demons were being cast out of people. Uh, we, we see the idea of miracles as well as healings. These are two gifts of the Spirit that are listed in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Verse, uh, uh, and in verse 11 of that chapter, we see Paul writing, but one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. After listing nine particular gifts, miracles and healing being two of those gifts, uh, this is what Paul writes. And we're, we're reminded that God, God's Spirit chooses, he decides to whom he will distribute the gifts, and it's not up to us. It's just up to us to understand that he has to receive those gifts and to use them for the glory of God and for the good of people around us. Let, let's never forget that, that even as we refer to these events, and, and I'm, I use the word a demonstration, you know, uh, 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 of God's power. You know, this is indeed a demonstration of God's power. But God doesn't do these things just to show how powerful he is. He does these things out of mercy for those for whom he acts. People needed healing, and he healed them. People needed to be freed from the bondage of, 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 of demons within them, and, and he freed them from that bondage. Out of, out of his love and compassion, his mercy, he did it. You know, so that, that's just who he is, right? That's who he is. And so let's not forget that. I think sometimes we can be so, so um, how can I word it? I mean, so wowed by his power and authority that that's what we focus on. And, of course, that is something to look to definitely, but let's not forget his mercy and his goodness and his kindness and his love and his compassion toward those for whom he acts. You know, let's not forget that. That's who he is as well. In fact, the Bible doesn't tell us that God is power. God is love. God is love. Let's never, ever forget that. But because of his power and his authority, he is able to love on people in those ways by showing that his authority over sicknesses and diseases as well as demons. In Hebrews 2.4, we are told this, God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders, with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. So we see that miracles as well as gifts of the Spirit are a confirmation, as well as other gifts of the Spirit, I should say, our confirmation of the truth that is spoken, the truth that is written in his word. The apostles bringing that truth to those around them in the first century and, of course, writing them down, uh, collected now in the word of God for us. But these miracles, the, these signs and wonders, uh, other gifts of the Spirit are confirmation of the reality of this truth. I mentioned the, the idea of the word unusual being used here, and I, I just found that interesting in looking at that. And uh, in, in doing my research, I saw that John Stott uh, had a similar response 
and he points it out. He, he wrote this. He wrote, Luke himself is not content to describe these events as mere miracles. Dynamis, which, which is the, the Greek word miracles, uh, demonstrations of divine power. He adds the adjective tikusas, which is variously translated special, singular, remarkable, and extraordinary in various translations. He does not regard them as typical even for miracles. You know, th these weren't just your typical miracles. You know, what's a typical miracles? You know, miracles aren't typical at all, are they? You know, um, I'm still praying for a miracle to take place with my honey. You know, the, the disease is continuing to, to progress. And yet, I continue to pray. But at the same time, as I see her, you know, just entrapped in this body that just isn't working anymore. You know, I mean, we just had the memorial service yesterday. We're going to be having one for Jesse. And, and I look at my, my, my bride and I think, Lord, just free her from this. Free her from this. It is my very strong de desire. I, I would so much rather see her be with Jesus than still in that body. I really would. It's not going to break my heart when she goes. Maybe it will. The reason I say that, you know, I mean, my eyes start to tear up. But just the reality that she's going to be with Jesus, that's what I want to see. And, and I'll tell the Lord, I said, Lord, either free her from, either, either rid her body of this disease or just remove her from this body. You know, he's not removed her yet. He's not healed her yet. He's going to show his mercy one way or the other. You know, and many of us have been in this situation with loved ones, even with a spouse. You guys know exactly what I'm talking about, know what I'm talking about. But, you know, um, I, I see passages like this, and I'm thinking, Lord, why don't you heal her? Why not? Why not? You know? He hasn't. Not yet. But in, for every one of us, those who've gone before us, who who have known the Lord, you know, again, right in our in our minds is Lois and Jesse, our dear sisters. You know, they have received an ultimate healing in the sense of the wholeness of being in the presence of God. You know, and, and so that's what we look forward to. That's what we look forward to. But God is able. God is able. We're told here that these miracles were unusual. In this way, verse 12. In verse 12, in this way. So that even handkerchiefs or aprons, the, the handkerchiefs really would have been uh, uh, handkerchiefs or sweatbands that Paul would have put on his forehead, you know, to keep the sweat as he's working in his tent-making business, right? Um, to keep the sweat from coming into his face, into his eyes, and so forth. Uh, and, and the aprons, of course, to keep his clothes somewhat clean. But uh, they, they were brought from his body to the sick, I mean, and I'm, I'm trying to picture what this looks like. I mean, at the end of the, at the, end of the work day, were, were people gathering at his residence, waiting for him to take off his clothes and grab them and take them to somebody? Maybe that's what it was like, you know. I, I, don't, I don't really know how that was happening. But people were taking these items of clothing of his, 
and taking them to people who needed a healing or needed to be freed from a demon. And they saw these people being healed and, and, and freed from these demons. And they were brought from his body to the sick and the diseases left them and the evil spirits went out of them. That's an amazing thing. And, and the way it's worded, it would make us think that somehow there's some kind of power that is translated or, or transferred to these items of clothing because they were on him. Now that power is on these, this clothing and it brought healing to people. That's crazy. Well, that's the unusual nature of the, of the miracles that were taking place. As we consider that, we do see some precedents for this kind of a thing, don't we? Mark chapter 5, beginning in verse 25. Now, a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years. We're familiar with this passage, right? And had suffered many things from many physicians. It's interesting how Mark writes that. The physicians brought suffering to her. Interesting. She had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. She didn't need to hear him say anything. She needed, didn't need to get his attention. In her mind, all she had to do was touch the hem of his garment, and she would be made well. Well, verse 29, immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, that's kind of trippy, huh? I mean, he, he, he sensed this outgoing of this outflow of the power in him and he he didn't necessarily i mean he didn't say anything and he wasn't even aware of her need at that point in time he just felt this power going out of him and so he turned around in the crowd and said who touched my clothes but his disciples said y you see the multitude thronging you and you say who touched me he said, Lord, I mean, there are like hundreds of people here, and I mean, there are dozens close by. I mean, anybody could have touched you. I mean, what, what, what's up? Yeah, and they, they didn't understand, obviously. And he looked around to see her who had done this, this thing, verse 32. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. You can imagine her thankfulness, her worship of Jesus, who not only became her healer, but I'm certain her Lord and her Savior. Matthew 14, verses 35 and 36. And when the men of that place recognized him, they sent out into all the surrounding region brought to him all who were sick and begged him that they might only touch the hem of his garment as many as touched it were made perfectly well 
perhaps hearing this story of, of this woman, others believed the same thing. They just wanted to be able to touch his clothing. In Acts chapter 5, verse 15, we see with Peter, uh, so that they brought the sick out into the streets and laid them on beds and couches that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might fall on some of them. And they received healing. So the, so the question is, can there be anything that uh, any, any sense of power or authority, he, any kind of healing power in an item of clothing or a shadow passing over? I mean, th these are crazy kind of things that, that took place. And, and now with, with Paul, as we read just the, the clothing that he's wearing while he's working and people taking, taking the others who needed a touch, and they were healed. These items apparently provided some kind of a point of contact, if you will, where God's power meets a person's faith, that point of contact. Because these people believed, not that there was anything inherently powerful in a garment or a shadow, but they believed that the power of God resided in these particular people. And if I can just get my hands on that garment or get close enough that the shadow of Peter passes over, then healing will come. As Jesus told this woman, your faith has made you well. Your faith has made you well. For some, faith is activated when someone that they perceive has greater faith than themselves or is closer to God than themselves, prays for them. Many of us don't believe that our own prayers are powerful enough, but if I can get this person to pray for me, then I can be touched by God. I'm sure many of us relate to that. But that perhaps is that point of contact where your faith meets God and the work that, that we want to see him do in our lives. For some, basically, may, maybe just simply reading it in the word of God and knowing that it's true, maybe that's enough. Or maybe we need something more physical. But a point of contact. There's an interesting, interesting passage in 2 Kings chapter 13, verses 20 to 21. Then Elisha died. And they buried him. And the raiding bands from Moab invaded the land in the spring of the year. So it was, as they were burying a man, that suddenly they spied a band of raiders. And they put the man in the tomb of Elisha. And when the man was let down and touched the bones of Elisha, he revived and stood on his feet. That's pretty crazy. Now, Elisha, obviously God had given a double portion from what he'd given Elijah, as we recall, a double portion of his spirit. W was there anything inherently p powerful about the bones of Elisha? And, and they, they, were ju they just put this guy in there because the band of raiders came, and, um, and these, things were, these raiders were not from, I wanted to say Oakland, nor were they from Las Vegas. Um, 
they, 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 were, they were just get it, getting him out of the way so they could bury him later, probably, you know, kind of a thing. And, and this guy gets healed, landing on Elisha's bones. I, I mean, and, and it appears that some power was still latent in those bones of Elisha. Was there? I think it has to do with simply the fact that they were Elisha's bones and God had given him, and so God just did that to, to basically show people his power and talk about an unusual miracle. That, that's kind of crazy. Pastor Chuck Smith said this, Now I am certain that there are many things about the power of God that we have so little understanding of. God help us that we would not limit him more by our unbelief, but we would just say, well, listen, God can do anything. Do you guys believe that? That God can do anything? And just begin to expect God to do anything. And you know, if you'll just start expecting God to do anything, you'll find he will begin to do something. He will begin to do an awful lot in your life if you just begin to expect him. Release your faith. Turn it loose. Take the bridle off from God and let him begin to work freely. Don't be afraid of what God might desire to do in your life. Give him that freedom. I love that. Let him work. Let him work. Now, while, while we all need to have a healthy fear of God, th this reverential fear, this reverence for who he is, th the reality that he is judge, the judge of all, and with his authority and power come many things, but we do not need to fear him. We need to trust him. I think sometimes perhaps, and basically that trust, it's, trust is faith in action, basically. Faith in action. But maybe some of us have some trouble with that. Um, not wanting to, to uh, um, surrender to the point that we're willing for God to do whatever he may cho choose. God, your will be done in my life knowing that sometimes that can mean some difficulties. Because let's face it, when we want God to work in our lives, he does the kind of work that changes us. And some, sometimes there are some difficult things in our lives that need to happen in order for us to experience that change. It's just the way that God works. That's the way that God works. But don't be afraid because it's all good. Because he is good. He's always good. Now, I didn't say it's always comfortable. Nor did I say it's always easy. Nor is it always convenient. But it's always good. If you desire in your heart, if I desire in my heart, that we want to become more like Jesus, he will make us more like Jesus. And he'll do the works necessary to accomplish that. Ephesians 3.20. Oh, what a wonderful verse this is. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above 
all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. The following verse speaks, to him be the glory forever. Him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think. Have you guys ever wanted something from God, but it seemed so crazy that you were afraid to ask him? Maybe it seemed selfish, and maybe it was. But, but maybe so extreme. It was like, you know, uh, let's not limit him. Ask. Ask him to do something. Now, according to his will, according to his nature, according to his goodness, you know, not for self-gain, but for, for the glory of God and or the blessing of some other person. As you come to him, ask, ask. And, and, and we may be surprised by what he does. Now, in regard to some things, you know, we know that God does not heal every person that we ask to be healed. And, you know, guys, I, I, I go through this struggle in my heart at times because I know that to be true. I mean, Paul prayed, and he was not healed of this thorn in the flesh that he had, remember? Second Corinthians, he, he writes about this. The answer that he got was, my grace is sufficient for you. I know that to be true. Because I know that to be true, I wonder at times if that limits my faith. But I know that God can do anything. I really believe that. But I don't know that he's going to heal my wife. You know what I mean? I, I go through that thing. I go through that on a regular basis. And, and I have to kind of come back and, 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 you know, to God's word and say, yeah, well, Lord, no, I, I do know that you are able to, to do anything. I do believe Ephesians 3.20. Do you guys believe that? That he is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above, triple superlative, which is unusual in the scriptures. There for a reason. He can do absolutely anything, even above what we ask, even above our wildest imagination. Exceedingly, abundantly above all that we ask or think. To him be the glory forever. That's our God. And while we struggle in these things, and we wrestle with these passages and these truths, and which side of it are we on? You know, God, are you going to, 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 to heal her? Or are, you, are you not? You know, I, I know sometimes you don't. I know sometimes you do. I know that you're able to. I know that you can. I don't know if that's what, what's in your will. I know that sometimes we don't get the answer that we want because you have something better. Then I think, really, what could be better than my wife being healed? What could be better than that? And the thing is, I don't know. Because, you see, I'm not God. But he knows. But maybe he's still going to heal her. Just saying, you know. And so I, I need to maintain my belief that he can. I don't know if he will. But whatever he chooses to do is good. Whatever he chooses to do is good. And what he chooses to do, if it's different than wh from what I want him to do, 
is better than what I want him to do. Somehow it's going to work out that way. Now, as I say that now, it certainly doesn't feel like it. But like I said, at the same time, I want her to be free from this. I would rather him, at this point, free her from this disease so I can spend another 20 years with it. If we last that long. But measuring from the ages of these women who've just passed on to be with the Lord, we'll make it if we do the same. But you know, I mean, these, these things are, are these are a part of our walk with the Lord and, and, and our faith in Him that, that, that we kind of struggle with at times. But Ephesians 3.20, again, I just want to ask you, do you believe that He is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you ask or think? Do you believe that? Let's maintain that faith. Knowing that he in his goodness and in his wisdom and in his knowledge and his understanding and in his compassion and in his love, his mercy and grace, all that he is, he'll do the best thing. He'll do the best thing. And so we trust it. We trust it. Well, let's move on. Verse verse 13. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists. Now, obviously, at that point in time, there were exorcisms that were taking place or those who called themselves exorcists. Now, we're, we're here in the city of Ephesus, not a Jewish town, but there was a Jewish population there. They understood that God can exorcise demons. And whether or not these truly were exorcists that actually cast demons out of people, we don't know. We're not told that. But in a city like Ephesus, which was filled with idolatry, filled with, with uh, 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 you, you know, witches and, and those who were doing magic and, and, and all those kinds of things, there was a lot of demonic activity. And so there were a lot of demonic possessions. And so these people who were doing the exorcising, casting demons out, um, would look for any advantage. I mean, even with the magicians, it's like, you know, if if the name Jesus can become a, a, a better word to use than abracadabra, then I'll use it. You know what I mean? That kind of a thing. It just becomes a, a, an incantation that is more effective in their mind. And the same would go for an exorcism. And so, so these people, these Jewish uh, exorcists, they, they took it upon themselves. That's an important item here in this verse. They took it upon themselves. God didn't give it to them. They took it upon themselves to use the name of Jesus. They did not have the authority to use the name of Jesus because they did not belong to Jesus. Right? Did you see that? They did not belong to him. They took it upon themselves to call the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, we exercise you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. So, so they, they came up with this line, seeing the effectiveness in Paul's ministry, because he would say that. Now, he had the authority. Jesus had given him that authority, right? He was an, he was an apostle. 
You know, I mean, this whole thing, it just is reminiscent of how in the Old West we had those snake oil peddlers, right? Same kind of thing. Same kind of thing. A way to make a few bucks. And believe me, they, they would charge money for their services. That's what they did. Whether they're magicians, quote-unquote exorcists, whatever it might be, that's what they would do. But there is power in the name of Jesus. In Acts 3.16, Peter said this. This is in his second sermon, way back when. We looked at this some time ago. And his name through faith in his name has made this man strong, whom you see and know. Yes, the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. When he, healed, when he healed the lame man at the gate called Beautiful. This is what he said. It's faith in the name of Jesus. Faith received from God as his children. It does remind us of Simon the sorcerer back in chapter 8 of Acts. He wanted the power that Peter had in the Holy Spirit coming, on pe coming upon people and, and the evident signs that came, speaking in tongues or whatever it may have been. In Acts chapter 8, verses 20 to 23, this is Peter's response to Simon. You'll, you'll remember this. Peter said to him, Your money perished with you because you thought that the gift of God could be purchased with money. You have neither part nor portion in this matter, for your heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent, therefore, of this your wickedness, and pray, God, if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you, for I see that you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. Simon thought that he could purchase the power of God. Note that Peter said that his heart is not right in the sight of God. He had not been justified. Justification is being seen by God as righteous. He is calling us righteous based on his works. His heart was not right. Your heart is, if you receive Christ as your Savior. Now, sometimes you not feel like it because of that battle that goes on, you know, between the flesh and the spirit, right? But in terms of what he sees based on the work of Christ, as we acknowledge our need for Christ, as we acknowledge that, that it's only in Jesus that we can be made right with him, and we depend on that, we trust in him, we have faith in him, then our, faith, then our heart is made right. And, and he calls us right, righteous. That's what justification is all about. But he had not been justified. He had no relationship with God. He was not a child of God, and he had no access to the power of God. He thought that the pouring out of God's spirit was some kind of a bag of tricks that he could use as a sorcerer, thus somehow bringing benefit to himself. But Simon and these Jewish exorcists here in chapter 19 all seem to have something in common a desire for power 
that would bring them fame and fortune. And it makes me wonder, even 2,000 years later, makes me wonder how many so-called televangelists can be labeled the same way. The desire for power that would bring them fame and fortune. Unusually, I think we see a lot of that. The self-gain that comes, peddling the name of Christ for self-gain. I would not want to be in their shoes when they face him. I really think that there's a special judgment for such people. I really do. I really do. God help us that we never begin to, to, to drift in that direction. That we always keep our faith in the, in, the, in the word of God, honoring him, loving him, worshiping him, and wanting to be used by him for his honor and his glory and the blessing of other people. Not our own. That when we're there, we find that we receive great blessing just for the privilege of being used by him, the privilege of serving him. In verses 14 to 16, and we see Luke giving to us one particular example of these Jewish exorcists. The seven sons of Sceva, he introduces us there in verse 14. Also, there were seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest. That's all we know is that he was a Jewish chief priest, and we don't know that he actually was one. He could have been someone who called himself a chief priest. Being in Ephesus, the kind of city that it was so far from Jerusalem, we, we don't really know if that's the case. We, we can perhaps take it for what it is, being a part of a priestly family, perhaps, but we don't know if that really is the case. But he had seven sons who, were, who had entered into the exorcism business. We'll put it that way. They, they, they were doing exercising of uh, uh, demons. We don't know if they were effective or not, but they certainly saw the effectiveness of Paul's ministry, and so they began to copy him. You know, a, 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 a copycat ministry, so to speak, or copycat business, <laughs> so to speak. I, I'm not sure what we should call that, but that's what they did. These seven sons of Siva. So they, so they did what these others were doing. They, they said, they, they came across somebody who was demon-possessed, and they said, we exercise you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. And so the evil spirit who was in this one man said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who do you think you are? I don't know you. Bah! <laughs> he, ju he jumped on them, seven of them. Now, now we know it, it's 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 you know it, it's well documented that people who are demon possessed have some unusual power, strength. And this one man jumped on these seven, beat them up, tore their clothes off, and they ran out of that house naked and wounded. You know, I mean, like I said before, it's both horrifying and hysterical at the same time. 
you know. He, he could have killed them. He didn't. Maybe it's because he saw that they were still on his side. I don't know. Just a thought. Just a thought. But the power of demons, right? The power of demons. And demons are just as real today as they were then. And they still want to inhabit human beings. They still do. We don't see it a lot in our culture. Maybe it's because we don't want to see it as a culture. I am certain, I want to be careful the way way that I say this, but I'm certain that there are some, not all, but there are some who are labeled as people with a mental illness and they're demon-possessed. Some. I think the Lord would need to point them out to us. There's some who really have illnesses. But at the same time, there, there's some kind of a connection between, well, witchcraft, for example. You know, the word, the Greek word pharmakai, pharmacy, pharmacist, drugs. That is a Greek word for witchcraft. There's a connection there somehow. I think a person who gets drugs and, 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 and loses his mind, I think there's a very real possibility that it's a demon possession. Right, you know what I'm saying? But our culture won't label it that way because our culture doesn't want to believe in these kinds of things. Right? And we have to be careful the way that we approach it. I think there's a reality to the mental illness. But I think at least in the case of some, it's actually a demon. Actually a demon. I prayed for people that I thought may be demon-possessed, kind of thinking that, well, I'll pray for them just in case nothing happened, you know, nothing, this person didn't jump at me or anything, and I was thankful for that, you know. <laughs> you know, but, uh, you know, I mean, you can hear some crazy stories, you know, but we, we don't have time to get into all of that. But, you know, uh, something that we see here, this demon said, I know Jesus. And, you know, demons know who Jesus is. They know who he is. And in Mark 134, we, we see this, Mark writing, Then he, Jesus, healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he did not allow the demons to speak because they knew him. This was early in his ministry. He didn't want, early in his ministry, he didn't want word to get out about who he is and, and, and the work that he was doing. That the Messiah had actually come, right? And he wanted to keep that low key, especially in the beginning, right? In Luke 8, 28, we see in the country of the Gadarenes, there was a man possessed by a legion of demons. In verse 28, when he saw Jesus, he cried out, fell down before him, and with a loud voice said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. And we looked at that story last week, and that's when he sent those demons into the the herd of swine. A legion, 2,000. 
Actually, Legion, I think, is 6,000. Um, so they know who Jesus is. There's also an issue of authority that's going on here as well. Again, Jesus gave his authority to Paul, did not give it to these itinerant Jewish exorcists, did not give it to these seven sons of Sceva, did not give it to Simon the sorcerer, gave it to his apostles. And he gives it to those to whom he chooses in terms of the ministry they may give to us. I, I think there really are people who can have the power of God to cast out demons because God has given them that gift and that authority to do so. Yet, I think if any of us run into a situation like that where it's very real and there is a demon, I think that we have that, that power within us because we have the Holy Spirit residing within us. I think we ought, we ought not to look for those situations, but if it comes, know that you have the authority of the creator of that demon within you, right? That is there. But there's that, 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 that power. Um, in, in Luke chapter 9, verses 1 and 2, we see Jesus called his 12 disciples together, gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. He sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. So God gives that power. He definitely gave that power to the 12 apostles at that particular time, right? He gives his power and authority. But these guys, they just took it upon themselves. Paul had the authority. And they knew Paul. These demons knew Paul. We know Jesus we know. And Paul we know. They knew Paul. They knew the power that resided within Paul in the sense of the authority that Jesus had given to him. They understood that when he cast out demons, it was by the power of God. They knew this. They, they knew Paul. They knew his ministry. They knew what was going on. And this, this has caused, caused me to wonder, and I wonder if you guys have ever wondered this. Do demons know me? Do they see me as someone who serves Jesus with the power of the Holy Spirit and his authority? Do they see me that way? Do they see you that way? I would like to think so, would you? Wouldn't you like to, to know that? Do demons see you as someone serving the one and most high God, the one and only true God, with his power and his authority? Well, I, I pray that that takes place. I pray that they see us this way. You know, in Jesus' ministry in his lifetime, we, we saw that the Jewish leaders attempted to explain away his authority, his authority over demons. And in Luke eleven fifteen, some of them said, he casts out demons by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. And then, John, then Jesus, Luke records that Jesus responded this way in verses 17 to 20 of Luke 11. He, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and a house divided against a house falls. I want to stop there just for a moment. He said, every kingdom divided of its, against itself is brought to desolation. 
I think, I think we need to fear about the future of our own country. We are so deeply, deeply divided. Jesus said, every kingdom divided against itself. We don't have to fear for the church. The church will be just fine. The gates of Hades will not prevail against the church, but certainly a nation can fall, and many very powerful nations have come and gone before us. There's no reason why the United States of America cannot fall. But if we're going to unite, we need to reunite, reunite, if you will, over the truth of Scripture and the reality of God and bow before Him. Amen. I pray that we do that as a nation. Well, Jesus continued in verse 18, If Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? Because you say, I cast out demons by Beelzebub. And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But if I cast out demons with the finger of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. And they did not want to recognize it. But that's where he told them. If I really am here in the power of God and casting out demons with his authority and his power, that means that his kingdom has come upon you. You need to bow. They didn't. They didn't. Well, number 17 this became known both to all Jews and Greeks, everyone dwelling in Ephesus, and fear fell on them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. When they saw the things that were taking place and, and these copycat, you know, exorcists doing their thing and it didn't work, you know, they got, you know, these seven sons of Sceva, that story and all. At that point, fear fell on the entire city, a healthy reverential awe of God fell on them. The power in the name of Jesus and the G name of Jesus was magnified in that city. Might the name of Jesus be magnified in Upland and in Montclair, Ontario, Pomona, Rancho Cucamonga, the cities around us because of his work through his people. His work through us, whatever he chooses to do, that the name of Jesus would be magnified. What a blessing that is. And then we see in verse 18, many who had believed came confessing, telling their deeds. Also many, who, uh, many of those who practiced magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all, and they counted up the value of them, and it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. If we would assume that these that, that these uh, uh, pieces of silver were uh, the Greek, or excuse me, the the Asian, well, yeah, the, the Greek pieces of silver and so forth, probably the value of those books would have been somewhere around five to six million dollars that were burned. But look, look what happened here. Well, then verse twenty. So the word of the Lord grew mightily. And prevailed. You know, 
Verse 18 tells us many who believed came confessing. This would be speaking uh, and, and telling their deeds with the context. It, it, it seems that it, it's these who um, were, these who came to faith out of sorcery and, and, and as magicians and perhaps even as exorcists, they came to faith and, 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 and they began confessing what they did, telling their deeds, you know, probably talking about spells that they cast and, and who they cast the spell on and, and what the results were, how they did it, all these things, these books that they learned these things from, and, 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 and demons would, would act accordingly. And, and, and so there was a lot going on there in terms of demonic activity through these so-called sorcerers and magicians, right? But they saw the reality of Jesus Christ. They saw his power. They saw the ministry of Paul, and it had a huge impact. And as we already read from Hebrews chapter 2, verse 4, that the, that the signs and wonders of God, along with, 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 the, with the miracles and gifts of the Spirit, confirmed the word that was spoken, the, the gospel that came to them, the power of God, along with the reality of that truth, um, giving, giving power to the truth in the hearts of people. So they were talking about these things, and they brought their books together, burned them. And, and, and you know, it's, it's somewhat different to burn your own books that you formerly trusted in than it is for someone to burn a book that they don't believe in. You know, I mean, there are people who will take a Bible and, and they burn it just as a signal that, you know, they think that the book is worthless, meaningless. But for people who take these books that they, made, that, 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 that they depended upon, they trusted in, they believed in, they really did, they, they used them, they were benefited by them, but now they see the reality, the truth of Christ, who he is, they came to him, and they got rid of their past. They basically, this, this was a, a very visible sign of repentance. A very visible sign of, of uh, what we see in 1 Thessalonians chapter 9. Turning to God from idols. Excuse me. Chapter 1 verse 9. Uh, turning to God from idols to serve the living and true God. That's what happened in Ephesus. They turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Signs of repentance, evidence of the, of the effectiveness of Paul's service to the Lord was the reality of the word of the Lord growing mightily and prevailing. The word of God grew in Ephesus. It prevailed in Ephesus. And so the ministry in Ephesus was very powerful. And, and Ephesus became the center of, of church life in Asia, we talked about last week how the, how, how the word of God went throughout Asia and churches were established, the seven churches of Revelation being a part of all that, right? And that's what took place, a powerful move of God's spirit through the truth of God's word there in Asia. In Acts chapter 6, verse 7, we see these words, then the word of God spread. Acts 12, 24, but the word of God grew and multiplied. 
Acts 19.20, so the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. See, that's the book of Acts. The word of God growing, expanding, and entering into the hearts of more and more and more people, and people getting saved, people sharing the truth of God with others, more people getting saved, God uh, um, uh, basically bringing a demonstration of, of the truth of the words uh, in in his words, the, the words that people were speaking through the signs and the wonders and the and the, the healings and and, and de- uh, demons being cast out of people. The reality of God was upon them, and as Jesus said, you know, if I am casting out these demons through the finger of God, then this means that the kingdom of God has come upon me. The kingdom of God had come upon them. The kingdom of God has come upon us, hasn't He? kingdom of God has come upon us. How are we responding within the context of dwelling physically in another kingdom, yet belonging to the kingdom of God? As Peter writes, we are strangers and aliens just passing through because our home is in heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven. Amen? So always remember that. Yeah, we're citizens of the world, but first we're a citizen of heaven because we belong to him. Let's act like citizens of heaven. Father, we pray for your help in this. We pray for your way in our hearts and our lives. And and Lord, we just just glory in the reality of what you were doing here in the city of Ephesus, the reality that, that your word was growing that you were pouring out your spirit, you were using the Apostle Paul and, and, and others with him as the word of God grew and, and miracles were taking place, your, your Holy Spirit um, also doing a work in having authority over demonic spirits that had inhabited people and casting them out. And God, we just pray. Sometimes we'll, we'll just ask ourselves, God, why don't we see these things now? something we have to do, Lord, is confess our own faithlessness. Lord, as the disciples said to you, Lord, increase our faith. Increase our faith. Why wouldn't you work in that way now here in our cities, in our county, in our area? in the lives of people around us who need to hear it. Lord, if we don't see the, 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 this extent of, of, of miracles and signs and wonders and, and, and exorcisms, Lord, certainly might this happen. But might the word of God grow. Might your word have impact. Might your word multiply here in the Inland Empire, in the cities around us, simply because your word is growing in our hearts and we can't help but to speak it, to speak the truths that it, that it brings and to live that truth. Fill us with your spirit, we pray. Use us to your glory, to your honor, to your praise, to your worship. Lord, use us to bless people around us. 
we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.